find a place that you want to get comfortable. It's so good to see you guys. I'm glad you're all here today. For anybody who doesn't know me, my name is Jonathan Lonneville. I am the newly voted on lead pastor here at Family Life Church. So thanks to everyone who didn't vote no for me. That would have been awkward, but uh, that's all right. Uh, as Ben shared last week, we're taking a fresh look at the vision of Family Life Church. What God has called us to be, who he's called us to be, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. The vision of Family Life Church is to love God, love people, and to love Warsaw. Last week, Ben answered the question of why do we love people? Why do we love people? And he told us that we love people because God loves people. And as we get closer to God, we start to love what he loves. And as we get closer to God, we start to love the people that he loves. This reminds me of my sister, Jennifer. I tried for most of her life to try and get her to like sports. For 18 years, I would try and get her to <clears throat> watch sports with me and like sports, but she really wasn't having it. Mainly the reason I was trying to get her to like sports was because I wanted to watch sports on the TV and she wanted to watch other stuff. So I tried to explain to her why sports were fun and teach her how they work, but she wasn't really having it. She wanted to watch Saved by the Bell and Boy Meets World, and I was like, come on, these sports are so great. But then she got married to Pete Appleton. And when she got married to Pete Appleton, Pete is like a huge Bills fan. He's like obsessed with the Bills. And because my sister loved Pete and because she spent time with Pete, my sister became a Bills fan. Like, what? My sister's a Bills fan. Not only is she a Bills fan, she pretty much understands football. Like, if she could, for the most part, tell you what's going on, and she could yell the right stuff at the right time, it's like crazy. Like, she's a, a real football fan. All my years of training did nothing, and just a couple years with Pete, and she's a pro now. So that's what happens with, with the Lord, is when we hang out with the Lord, just like when Jennifer ha hangs out with Pete, she starts to love what he loves. When we spend time with the Lord, we start to love what he loves. We start to love the people that he loves. Today I want to explain to you how we love people. Now there are tons of different ways to love people and our expression of love to the various people we're loving will be as diverse as the people that you're reaching out to. So if I'm trying to love someone who's into hunting and you're trying to love someone who's into ballroom dancing, that might look very different, hopefully. Um, but there are some universal ways that we can love people. And in a portion of scripture, Jesus actually shows us five ways that we can love people. And these are universal ways that will work to love every person on the planet. And Jesus models it perfectly himself. This is in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Then the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted even louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. So the first thing that Jesus shows us in this portion of scripture for how we can love people is listen. The first way that we can love people is listen. But listen specifically to hear their pain. 
To get Jesus' attention, these men were shouting. And the people started shaming them and telling them to be quiet. So the men started shouting even louder because they were in pain. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but the world around us is shouting. Society is shouting at us. People feel marginalized. People feel overlooked. They feel like no one sees them and no one cares. The Bible said that these men were on the side of the road. So they were outside of people's focus. They were in people's peripheral vision. So it's likely that there are people around you that are shouting, but you might not even notice it because they're not the place that you're focusing. They're in your peripheral vision. They're kind of on the sides, but they're still in pain. There are people who feel marginalized because their jobs got outsourced. I talked to someone this week who felt marginalized because his job was taken by a younger person and he felt kind of uh, pushed out. It was Pastor Chris. Just kidding. Some people feel marginalized because of their skin color. Some people feel marginalized because of their gender. A lot of people feel marginalized today. Like life is passing them by or their values are being overlooked or trampled. The things that are important to them aren't being paid attention to. Some people feel like Job. In Job 19.7 he said, Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. People are shouting on social media. People are shouting on online forums. Some people are even shouting in real life. They're protesting because they feel like their values are being trampled. Have you ever been in a discussion with a friend or a family member or maybe at work or maybe on some board you're a part of or something like that, and there's opposing views to an issue? People are seeing things differently. One person sees it one way, one person sees it another, and the tension is growing. Maybe if it's in these people who are arguing, if it's in their personality, maybe they're shouting, or maybe if they're more introverted, maybe they're just sitting there quietly. Have you ever been in a place like that before? When you're in that place, one of the things I've learned is the thing that people are arguing about is almost never the issue. It's kind of confusing because it seems like it's the issue, like this person sees it one way, this person sees it another way, and they're arguing back and forth, and it seems like that thing is the issue. But that thing is almost never the issue. I've seen people be able to work out their differences. I've seen, sometimes I've talked to married couples who were seeing things differently, and and people can work out their differences. They can come to a place of compromise. They can come to a place of understanding each other. But when people don't feel like they're being heard, that is when the tension grows. That's when things escalate. And that's where we are right now. We're at a place where tension is escalating because people don't feel like they're being heard. This isn't really what the point of what I'm sharing this morning, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to uh, read this scripture to you just as a reminder. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. Cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came down before him into his ears. God wanted me to remind you this morning that he not only hears the cry of these two blind men, but he hears your cry of pain this morning too. If you're going through something and you've been crying out to the Lord, 
The Lord hears your cry. He hears your cry of pain, and he cares. So do you hear the cries of the people around you? Maybe you'd say, well, I don't really hear people crying out. I don't, I don't really think anything's going on. I don't hear anybody who's in pain. And I would offer up to you that maybe that's the problem. You're not hearing the cries of the people around you because the people around you actually are crying. The people around you are feeling pain for various things. When those around us are crying out, it's always an opportunity for Jesus to do something in somebody's life. If you really want to start to love someone, we have to start by listening. And we have to start by listening past the initial words that we hear someone say. We have to start by listening past the anger and start to hear the pain. Anger is oftentimes called a cover emotion, meaning it's an emotion that we will express that covers up a deeper emotion that we feel that feels more vulnerable or something like that. So maybe you've been hurt, but it feels too vulnerable to say you hurt me, so you kind of lash out in anger. But really, anger isn't what you're feeling. You're feeling hurt. Or maybe you feel scared or alone, and it feels too vulnerable or risky to express that you feel scared or, or alone, so you express anger. We have to get used to seeing past people's anger listening past people's anger to hear what they're really saying, to hear what they're really feeling, to hear the pain that they're experiencing. Loving someone starts with listening. Are you willing to listen to your neighbor's pain? Are you willing to listen to your friend's pain? Or when you hear it, do you just consider it noise in the background and turn the channel to someone who looks like you and sounds like you? Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. The first thing Jesus is calling us to do if we want to love people is to listen to their pain. The second thing that Jesus shows us to do is to stop. It's to stop. It's to stop whatever you're doing. Verse 32 says, When Jesus heard their cries, he stopped. Jesus was standing in the middle of the street, and he was walking, and there was a bunch of people walking. So when Jesus stopped, he was literally making a traffic jam. But he didn't care because he knew these people were in pain. And he knows when someone's in pain, you give them your attention. We've become such multitaskers. Like we're doing so many things at so many times that oftentimes we miss out on the fact that people around us might be in pain. I know you're busy. I'm busy too. I know you have a lot of stuff going on in your life. I know you have places to go and people to see. But are you willing to stop what you're doing long enough to love someone, to hear their pain and to hear what's going on in their life and see how you could serve them? Jesus was living on a mission He had limited time to accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish. So when he gave someone his time, he was actually giving them something that was very precious and very valuable. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, said this in that book. He said, if you want to be used by God, you need to get used to being interrupted. If you want to be used by God, you need to get used to being interrupted. God will often come to you many times in your life by way of interrupt, 
interruptions. It's great to schedule time in your life to love people, maybe to serve at an event or to do something for someone, but there's going to be many times in your life where you're going to have the opportunity to love someone in the interruptions, where you have to set aside your agenda and set aside what you're planning to do to minister to somebody. In my sermon this morning, I am making an assumption, and that assumption is that you want to know the truth, that you're here this morning sitting in these seats because you want to hear the truth. And I don't mean my truth or your truth, and I know for seems like a lot of people, truth is kind of subjective these days, and everyone's making up their own truth. But there is truth. There is the Word of God. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning. We have this book called The Bible from God. It is the truth. You can stand on it with your life. And when we look at the Word of God, we find out that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus with your life, you cannot live a self-centered life. If you want to follow Jesus, and I think most of us would say we do want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow him, if you really do, you cannot live a self-centered life. Jesus said himself, the more you give your life away, the more you find out what life is really about. Matthew 10, 39. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, No one should be looking out for their own interests, but look out for the interest of others. Philippians 2, 4. Don't be so obsessed with always getting your own advantage, but forget yourself long enough to give a helping hand. I love that scripture. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. You can't forget yourself all the time. Like You have to think about yourself sometimes, and you have to care for yourself sometimes. And the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, so the implication is that it's good and it's okay to love yourself. You should love yourself. But can you forget yourself long enough to lend someone a helping hand? That's exactly what Jesus did in this portion of Scripture. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. He had a job he was going to do. He had people he was going to meet. But he set aside his agenda long enough to love someone, to hear their pain, and to be a blessing. So you get up in the morning and you have a list of things you're looking to accomplish in your day. Maybe it's finally warm enough that you want to put something in the garden and kind of get your garden taken care of and do some tasks around the house that you had been waiting to do for when it was nice out. And you start working on those jobs and then you got to go over to Ace Hardware and you see someone who's in need. Do you put your head down and just kind of keep walking or maybe pick up your phone and pretend you're on the phone so you don't have to do anything with that person who you saw that was in need so you can get your agenda done, get done the stuff that you wanted to do? Or are you willing to set aside your agenda? Are you willing to set aside your plan for long enough? Are you willing to forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand, to be a blessing to someone? So Jesus shows us if we want to love people, first we have to listen, then we have to stop, and the third thing that he tells us to do is to look. To look. To look past people's behavior and see their value. Most people on this busy road didn't really know that these guys were blind. They didn't know their pain. All they knew was they were yelling they were making a disruption and they were being annoying and they weren't behaving the way that they should behave. And they told him, just shut up, go
go sit down and be quiet. But Jesus turned his attention to them. Over and over in the Gospels, we see this pattern in Jesus' life where he would listen, he would stop, and then he would look. He would listen, he would stop, and then he would look. Mark 10.21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. When Jesus looks at someone, he's giving them his attention. He's giving them his time. He's giving them something that's very, very precious. Jesus had a job to do. He had things he was looking to accomplish. You can always make more money, but you can't really make more time. I heard recently that uh, my good friend Elon Musk is buying Twitter. He's got a little bit of money. He does okay. Um, But as it turns out, you and I are both as time-rich as Elon Musk. We all only have 24 hours in a day. So when we give away our time to someone, we're giving them something that's precious to us. And that's what Jesus did with these two blind men. Maybe you've noticed in the Bible that when Jesus looks at somebody, it changes them. They're not the same after Jesus looks at them. There's all kinds of people throughout the Bible who have these interactions with Jesus. And when he looks at them, they're changed. And I wonder why is that? I can't say for certain all the reasons why, but I think one of the reasons why Jesus' look changes people is because he's giving them unconditional acceptance and unconditional love when he looks at people. He's giving them his unconditional acceptance and unconditional love. There's nothing they could really do to earn that. He's not looking for anything from them. He just accepts them for who they are. Matthew 9.36 says, When he looked out over the crowd, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at people, he saw their need and his heart broke. How do you look at people? How do you look at people? Do you look at them with unconditional love and acceptance? Or maybe do you look at them with a critical eye? Do you pick people apart? Or an apathetic eye, like you just don't really care about them? Or an angry eye? Or a prejudiced eye? None of those ways of looking at people are going to transform them. It's only when we look at people the way that Jesus does, it's only when we look at people with unconditional acceptance that change can actually happen in their life. Jesus saw the crowd, and the scripture tells us he was moved with compassion for this crowd. How do you feel when you see a crowd? I know sometimes when I get to see a crowd, I get a little frustrated and I get annoyed, like, well, how am I going to get through this line as the quickest way possible? And where am I going to park? Or where am I going to sit? Thinking about myself. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he looked at them with compassion. People who, people who need your love feel unloved. It makes sense, right? People who need to feel loved are people who feel unloved. There's no real nice or polished way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. People who feel unloved are annoying. They're obnoxious. They can be frustrating. They can be tiring. They can do weird things sometimes. Dr. John Deloney says, the subconscious thought of the unloved person is if I can't get love, 
at least I can get attention. It's not really a thought that's in the front of their mind. They're not really thinking it, but somewhere deep in their mind, the thought is if I can't get love, then at least I can get attention. So they do frustrating or annoying things sometimes. We can see this sometimes in kids where they, for whatever reason, don't feel loved by their parents, and they end up acting out and doing all kinds of crazy things to try and get attention because that's easier to control than it is to get love. The people who need the most love are oftentimes the most difficult to love. What I believe Jesus wants us to see here is that you can't look out for people if you're looking down on them. You can't really look out for people and care for them or love them if you're looking down on them. And I believe part of the reason that Jesus could change people just by looking at them, because he wasn't ever looking down on anyone, no matter what the sin was in their life, no matter whether society had cast them out and said they were unvaluable, he looked at them and he accepted them. If you want to love like Jesus loves, you have to stop looking down on people. Because when you don't look down on people, then you can start to look out for them. The last thing that Jesus says, I'm sorry, the fourth thing that Jesus does is he asks. He asks people what they need. Matthew 20, 32 says, Then Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus didn't assume. He asked. He's letting the person set the agenda of the conversation. Jesus knows everything. I mean, do you think Jesus knew what the problem was with these people? I think probably. Do you think Jesus knew what their need was? Yeah, probably. He knows everything. But he was honoring them by letting them decide what they wanted. So he asked them, what do you need? What can I do for you? And when he did that, it opens the people's heart to receive from them. One time I was here at church, and uh, somebody came by who needed some help, and it was somebody I didn't know, somebody I'd never seen before. So I came to help this guy out. And uh, he was in a, in a situation where he was from Niagara Falls, and he was coming from Niagara Falls, and he was headed to Pittsburgh to try and see his mom. His mom, his mom had only been given a couple of days to a week maybe to live. She had cancer, so he was trying to get there to see his mom. And he didn't have money, he was hungry, and didn't have food, and he also didn't have gas in his car. So he kind of had a lot of problems going on. It's going to be hard for him to get where he wants to go. So he came by and he asked if we'd be willing to help him. So I said, sure. So I knew he was going to be in the car for a while, so we went to Walmart, and I got some food for him there that he could eat in the car, and then we stopped at McDonald's, and then we came back here to the church, and I got him set up in the fellowship hall where he could eat, and I knew he needed gas to put in his car, and we had some gas cards hiding somewhere around church, so I went to try and get the gift card for quick fill so I could give it to him. So I went to walk away, and he said, sir, would you mind sitting with me while I eat? And I said, sure, like, of course. So I came back, and I, I sat down with him, and I had looked at what I assumed were the most important needs he had, which was food and gas. And I jumped to action, which you would think was like a nice and a good thing to do, and I'm going to go do the thing I need to do, and get him the stuff that he needed. But the truth was, he had a deeper need and a more in-his-face need. He needed a friend. He needed someone to make him laugh. He needed someone to sit with and talk about this challenging situation that he was walked in, walking into. 
So I sat down with him, and he had this big, huge, oversized white t-shirt with a Charles Barkley jersey from when Charles Barkley played for the Phoenix Suns, like in the 90s. So I assumed he was into basketball, so I was like, all right, so I'll talk to him about basketball. So we start talking about basketball, and this was a, a number of years ago. This was when Kobe Bryant was like at the height of his career, and LeBron James was just coming into the league. And he said, well, I think LeBron's the best player in the league. And I said, well, I think Kobe's the best player in the league. And we started kind of going back and forth, and he was calling me Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr was like this white guy who played on the Bulls, on Jordan's teams in the 90s. So he started calling me Steve Kerr, like this, just because I was white, right? So he starts calling me, he, me Steve Kerr, so I call him Chuck, because Charles Barkley, they, Charles and Chuck are like the same thing. So Charles Barkley's nickname was the Round Mound of Rebound because he was overweight. And this guy looked like he shopped at Big and Tall and not because he was tall. So <laughs> I was calling him Chuck, and he was calling me Steve Kerr, and we were picking on each other, and we were laughing. And we were having a good time, and he needed to laugh. He was stressed out. And after a while, he said, can I talk to you about something? And I said, sure. And he said, I'm 35, and when I was 20, I was from Pittsburgh, and my, my whole family lives in Pittsburgh. So when I was in 20, I fell in love with this girl. She was in the Air Force, and she was going to Niagara Falls, and that's where she was going to be for a while. So I told my mom I was going to go chase this girl to Niagara Falls, and he, she said, you're crazy. You're not chasing any girl to Niagara Falls. And he said, well, as it turns out, I am. And he said, they got in a fight, they argued, and he said, I don't want to talk to you ever again. And she said, I don't want to talk to you ever again either, get out of my house. And he left, he went to Niagara Falls with this girl, and it had been 15 years and they hadn't spoken to each other. 15 years, they hadn't talked to each other since that. One conversation, one fight where a 20-year-old was in love and said something stupid to his mom. It went too far and they hadn't spoken to each other for 15 years. And the week before, his brother had called him, and his brother said, Mom has not been doing well. She went to the doctor, and they gave her a week, maybe two at most, to live. So he wanted to go see his mom, and he said, What do I even say to her? Like, I, I don't even, what do I say to her? She's going to die. And I, we have a broken relationship. I haven't talked to her in 15 years. He said, I was so stupid. Like, I was young, I was in love, and I was just so stupid. Now I don't know what to say. I said, well, maybe you could start off with that. Tell her you were young and you were in love and you were stupid and you regret what you said to her and apologize. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And we talked it through more and we talked it through to the point that he then felt comfortable. And I, I learned something super important that day. I learned that you can't just jump into action to meeting the needs that you see in a person's life. The needs that I saw in his life, they were real. They were real needs in his life. He needed food and he needed gas in his car. But he had another need that was right in his face. Another need that was right in front of him, fighting for his attention. He needed a friend. He needed someone to talk to. He needed someone to sit down with and talk about the stuff that was going on in his life. He needed someone to make him laugh because he was super stressed out inside. So I learned the importance of asking people what they need, asking people how you can serve them. That's what Jesus shows us in this portion of scripture and then the last thing that jesus shows us is to help to do what you can to help matthew 10 34 says jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes and immediately they received sight and they followed him now scripture doesn't mean that because they could he they he healed their eyes and they could see that now they could see to follow him the scripture means that because he listened 
He stopped, he looked, and he asked. He won their heart. And because he won their heart, they followed him. There are people all around your life, friends, family members, coworkers. There are people all around you that are primed to receive Christ. Primed to, they're open to the idea of hearing the message of Jesus and how he came to save them. People all around you who are ready to hear that message, but they're not going to hear it until you unlock the door to their heart by helping them. By you lending a helping hand and doing what you can to be a blessing to them. Sometimes I know it can be overwhelming when you talk to someone and they have a bunch of needs in their life. And you can feel overwhelmed, like, I don't even know where to start. Like, your life is a mess right now, and I don't even really know what to do to help. I don't know where to start. Jesus isn't necessarily asking us to solve everyone's problems. He's not asking us to meet every single need that everyone has. If you come across someone whose life is a mess, oftentimes it took them a lifetime to make that mess, and it's going to take a while to clean it up. But there's something you can do. You can't do everything. You can't meet every need but there's always something you can do. Maybe it's just sitting and listening to someone for a while. Maybe it's making somebody a meal if they're hungry. Maybe it's offering some advice if you have some expertise in an area and this person needs help in that area. Maybe it's just simply you injecting hope into their life again. Maybe it's you speaking to them and saying, look, I've been there before. I know what it feels like to be down and out. I know what it feels like to be broke. There is going to be another day. This is not the end of your story. There is going to be a rest of the story. Maybe it's telling them what God did for you. Maybe it's telling them about how you used to struggle with sin and God set you free. Maybe it's telling them your story. Jesus shows us five ways to love people. To listen, stop, look, ask, and help. Now real quickly, I just want to show you Five people that we can look to love, or five types of people we can look to love. This is going to be quick. The first is to look for people with needs and offer help. Look for people with needs and offer help. Jesus saw these two men when no one else in the area saw these two men. Jesus saw these two men because he was always looking for someone who was in need. Maybe it was a, the woman at the well who had gone through a really hard time and had a bunch of failed marriages. Maybe it was a crowd of people that were hungry. Jesus was always looking for the one who was in need and offering to help. Two, look for lonely people and become a friend. Romans 12, 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. In some ways, we live in like the most connected world that's ever existed. We could FaceTime someone in China or Africa and it doesn't even seem like a big deal anymore. But I gotta say, in a lot of ways, I think we might live in the loneliest world that's ever existed. We have a lot of appearance of relationship, a lot of appearance of friendship, but not a lot of close, meaningful connections. There's lonely people all around you. Look for someone who's lonely and become their friend. Number three, look for grieving people and support them. 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been given grace and peace, but that grace and peace is not just for you. That great grace and peace was intended for you to give to people 
around you. We know that in this world, difficult things will happen. Hard things will happen. Loss is going to happen. And because of that, people are grieving. Look for those around you who are grieving and offer to support them. Four, look for defeated people and help them restart. People who are stuck in their career or stuck in their marriage. People who fell to addiction again. People who need a second chance. People who are depressed or down and out. People who have lost hope. People who fell and don't have the courage to stand up one more time. Reach over to those people, people who are defeated, and help them restart. And five, this one is kind of hard, but I know you got it in you. Look for angry people and kill them with kindness. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there's a lot of angry people around. And some people are kind of on edge a little bit these days. But look for angry people and be kind to them. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What an awesome opportunity to take those people who are angry, those people who went through something difficult in their life and for whatever reason didn't have the tools to deal with it in a healthy way and they became angry and bitter. What an awesome opportunity to take those people in that place and love them, even though they don't deserve it, but to love them anyways. So look for people that are needy, lonely, grieving, defeated, and angry. You can't get close to the Lord and not love the people that he loves. Remember I told you about how Jennifer got close to Pete and started to love the bills because he loves the bills. If you want to get close to the Lord, and I think most of us here do, that requires a response of loving those that he loves. Would you bow your heads this morning? Today we looked at five ways that Jesus showed us to love people. And then I gave you five people to love. And I want to ask you this question this morning. It's the same question we ended last Sunday with. Who are you loving? Who are you loving? Where is the place in your life where you express God's love to the people around you? Where are the people you can point to And say, I have been loving these people. Maybe you're scratching your head a little bit this morning like you don't really have an answer to that question. That's okay. The vision of Family Life Church is to love God, love people, and to love Warsaw. Today, this morning, God is inviting each of you into the family business of loving people. God wants you to get close to him. He wants you to value relationship with him. He wants you to dive deeper in relationship with him than you ever have before. But it doesn't just end there. He wants us to start to love the people that he loves. He is inviting you to join him in loving people, letting his love flow through us to those around us who so desperately need it. Lord, I pray for this group of people that are here this morning. Lord, we embrace the vision that you're calling us to, to love you, to love people, 
and to love Warsaw. Lord, I ask that as we get closer to you, the love that you have for, for all of humanity would rub off on us. And we would start to love the people around us. Lord, that we would start to see the people around us differently. We wouldn't look at them the same. We wouldn't pick them apart. We wouldn't judge them. We wouldn't be angry at them or prejudiced. But we would look at them and see them with your love. Lord, give us your heart for the people of this community, the people that we run into on a daily basis, the people we work with. Lord, I ask you to do something significant in our hearts. Lord, that this church would be known as the church in the area that loves people, that we would love people well. Lord, we invite you to come and to do that work in our heart. And Lord, I ask that for those people that when I ask that question, who do you love? Who have you been loving? Who have you been expressing God's love to? Maybe they didn't really have anybody specific. Lord, I ask that when we ask that question next week or the week after that, Lord, that there would be a list of people that they've been loving, a list of people they've been extending a helping hand to, a list of people they've been looking to meet their needs. Lord, I ask you to bless each person who's here this morning as they go from this place. In your name I pray, amen. Go love people.